Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approach data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. As a teacher, one of my main goals was getting the home and the school to work collaboratively as a team. I knew we would make the most progress when we worked together. So I always tried as much as I could to put myself in the perspective of the parents of my students. I knew I would never understand everything, but I made sure to always consider what they were going through on a daily basis. So today I talk with Chrissy Kelly, who I think is going to really help us bridge that gap and connect these two teams. Chrissy is a parent of two boys with autism, Grayson and Parker. She has an amazing blog, lifewithgraysonandparker.com, where she shares details of her life and their life and their schooling. She has an almost expert level of special ed and ABA, and she's really a tireless advocate for her boys and has built a great community around her website and social media. 
Today we talk about the IEP meeting. This episode is for both parents and teachers. Chrissy shares a lot of great tips from her experience on things parents can do to be prepared for the IEP meeting and advocate for their children. We also talk about a lot of strategies that teachers can utilize to make sure parents feel part of the team and feel confident and feel like they're being included. There's a ton of great content in here and a ton of tips that really apply to the whole school year, not even just specifically the IEP meeting. So let's jump right in. Okay, so I am so, so excited to have Chrissy. I am a huge, like, fangirl is, like, is putting it lightly. She's such a good follow. If you don't follow her already, she's developed such a great community and is just, I think, so, you're so valuable to the special ed community in general. I think the special ed community is so lucky to have you. Um, so I hope you know that because it's it makes a big difference. Um, before we jump into the topic, you want to tell us a little bit about your boys? Absolutely. So my name's Chrissy Kelly, as you heard. Um, I have two little boys. Grayson is nine and Parker is seven. And both boys have been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. And right now, um, what types of settings are they in? Just kind of for a little bit of context. Okay, so Parker is in an SDC combination classroom with three separate grades. So he's actually in first, but it's a first through third. And Grayson was in a SDC classroom for his schooling up until last year. And um, it's been a little over a year that I've been doing a homeschool program for Grayson. Cool. Um, So I was just telling Chrissy this before we started recording that I had told my husband when I was like, oh, Chrissy's going to be on the podcast. I was like, I need to think of a really specific topic or else I could see Chrissy and I talking for like five hours and I'm not sure if everyone wants to listen to a five-hour podcast because there's so many important topics that Chrissy could shed light on. She's basically an expert in ABA and special ed and explains ABA concepts better than a lot of BCBAs I know. So there's a lot of wisdom you have to share. So I think the IEP meeting is a great kind of specific topic to talk about because a lot of these ideas we can apply to other settings. And the IEP meeting can be hard for both the teacher and the parent. And I kind of want today to speak to both audiences because it's hard on both sides of the table. And now that I've been in that advocacy role, I'm now coming with a parent versus when I was a teacher, I was on the other side of the table. And those first few IEP meetings that I went to as a BCBA or as a parent coming with the parent team, it um, it's very different on the other side. And I was really like, it kind of hit me in the face, like the shift of power coming in and having this team of people telling you about, you know, the child or the client, like you don't know them. You're like, yeah, that's, that's my son. I, I know who he is. Um, and I realized then that there were probably things that I've done that maybe sent the wrong message. So you've obviously been to a lot of IEP meetings. You have paid your dues in that world. What are some tips that you have for teachers, like leading up to the IEP and even that day of the meeting, what can teachers do to make parents feel more comfortable and part of the team? Um, I think that really there is no one specific way to do it right. There's a million ways that you can, um, and really just an open line of communication is absolutely number one. So just extending that line, um, 
in whatever way you're used to communicating with parents and just letting them know that you're on it. And for me, I'm always most reassured when a teacher reaches out and not only do they say, this is what I'm thinking, but I want your feedback. You know, you are a Parker expert, you're a Grayson expert. So someone who genuinely understands the role of the parent in the child's future. Um, but someone who also comes with a plan, uh, and not just saying like, yeah, where, where, are you thinking? What should we do? Um, yeah. I also like it. I don't, I think this is actually a requirement cause it's on the IEP parent concerns. What are your areas of concern for your child? So I prefer to have that conversation before the IEP meeting, um, so that those concerns can go into establishing the goals. I've also had it not discussed until after the IEP meeting, like one of the last things. And I'm thinking, wait, we've already gone over the plans, the accommodations, uh, modifications. And, and if we discuss my concerns now, like it's kind of putting the horse after the cart or yeah. before the cart. Or, I'm really bad with those cliches. Yeah. But so someone who is just open to communicating. Yeah, also, and what kind of what you said in both points, which jumped out at me a lot, is is talking about it ahead of time. Like the IEP meeting doesn't start on the date of the IEP; it has yeah. to start ahead of time. And I know a lot of school districts have rules for sending a draft to parents, but those don't always get followed. But you're right; if you're asking someone for concerns at the meeting, you're like, "Isn't it too late? Like the whole document is done." Right. Right. Like that seems so kind of anything ridiculous. Anything you can share beforehand is great. I have had districts or schools that have said that they can't share drafts. Um, so I, I think you should make sure that that's for sure the case, because sometimes within a district, different teachers will share a draft and then a different teacher will, and they'll say, well, the district says we can't. So it can be confusing if different teachers say different things when they're saying it's because of the district. Um, if you can't, if you genuinely, like some districts, like you said, yeah. you, if you genuinely cannot share a draft, understandably, do explain to the parents why, because this is a legal document and legally the only people that can make decisions is the IEP team. And if I give you a draft, it can look like I made the decisions for us and we really need to collaborate on this. So even though I, of course, I'm thinking of what would be the best for your child. Um, I'm also not, you know, writing it in stone until we've all agreed on it. So I can't share anything until then. So just help them understand why. Yeah, that's a good point. There's so many different components involved in the IEP that as special ed teachers who are on, you know, IEP number 32 of the year, it feels like you're like, oh, everyone knows this. But taking the time to explain that is key. Right. Because And like the parent, ideally, this parent should be learning or based on where they are, how old their child is, they should be learning or knowing everything about their own child's disability and not only the disability, but how that disability impacts their ability to learn and how it impacts their ability to go to school. So you're learning all of that. And the IEP, you have to know best practices, mm -hmm. but then also, like we said, it's a legal document. You also have to know law and yeah. then you also have to know speech language pathology. Just a teacher and, and a lawyer. <laughs> So assume the parent knows nothing and say it respectfully, like, this might be a refresher for you, but I want to let you know. And then they'll stop you if, like, no, I know this. Don't insult me. Or they'll 
really welcome the information. That's such a good point because actually that was something I was thinking to talk about is, you know, we live in this world of like special ed alphabet soup, like the LRE and the IEP and, you know, it's, it's so confusing and and the ABA world, my God, is even worse. Like we cannot speak English to save our lives. Like we have to speak in our like cool ABA terms that parents don't understand. And, you know, a long, long time ago, my dad used to tell this story. My brother had an IEP. My dad's a lawyer, owns his own law firm, is, is, you know, he does immigration law. It's not educate, you know, education related, but he's like, I sit in this IEP and I feel like an idiot because they're using terms. I don't understand. He's like, I'm an educated guy. Why do I have to sit here and feel dumb? And it's the language that we use. It's the terms that we use that we're making, putting people in a position where they, they don't feel smart. That doesn't feel good. Right. What are some like terms, like specific, like acronyms or terms that you've sat in a meeting or if you can remember just in general, you know, other parents that don't understand that it was wrongly assumed. All of them. them. So this is how I kind of knew it. Um, how I realized it. So of course I have the alphabet soup for the most part committed to memory. Um, and since I know enough now, I don't feel stupid saying, wait, what does that stand for? Now, when you don't know anything, which I've been in those shoes before, you can't ask that every three seconds. Yeah. So then you start to shut down and you don't ask. Um, so what I really realized, I invited, um, I did uh, like a speaker panel and I was the parent representation, but there was also uh, speech language pathologists, uh, developmental pediatrician, you know, uh, occupational therapist. And we did a discussion panel with Q&A, but also just with presentations. And I invited probably four or five of my teacher friend, girlfriends, who all have typical children. And afterwards, they're like, I didn't even know what half those things those people were saying. Like, what is PIT? What are PECs? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, picture exchange communication? Yeah. <laughs> da, 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 da. And they're like, okay, so I know an IEP is, but what does it actually stand for? But I know it's like the thing that you guys have to write. So I thought, oh my gosh, every time we're talking to any audience with inconsistent baselines of knowledge, we have to assume Mm -hmm. they don't know anything. And we have to, as best as you can possibly remember, don't use any acronyms. Yes. Um, Or enter the acronym the first time. Well, the SLP did it. Oh, speech language pathologist. And then you can sit, just like when writing, the very first time you use an acronym, you have to spell it out. Just do that verbally as well. Yeah. And, and yes, that means the meeting will take longer and that means it will take more time and effort, but you would much rather have, have a longer meeting where the parent leaves, you know, feeling like they understood what was going on and like they were part of the team than a parent leaving being like, I didn't know what half of that was. Like, I think that sometimes we're like these combative relationships almost start because it's not, even like in a, you know, a teacher with any bad intention, you just kind of rush through a meeting and then the teacher leaves with the, or the parent leaves with a bad taste in their mouth. And I think every time a parent leaves a school or a classroom with a bad taste in their mouth, it's just going to kind of build. And there's going to be, you know, those filters in place now for like, oh man, I don't understand what's going on here. And you have these weird vibes with the school now and you're going to, there's going to be more opportunities for miscommunication. Yeah. And if it, it makes carryover at home more difficult too, because if yeah. someone's like, oh, well, when we do DTTs, you know, we try to prompt decreasing hierarchy, like that kind of stuff. You're like, okay, I don't know what any of that means. Yeah. So I'm just, you know, go home and I don't know what DTTs are. Yeah. And I'm just going to prompt the heck out of my kid because 
you need my help or where it's really an opportunity for both sides to um, really impact the kid. And that parents need to remember and educators, it's about the kid. Yes. It's about the kid. It's about the kid. So at the end of the day, how are we going to best assist the student? Yeah. And a great point that you had made a few minutes ago was like being, you know, you don't want to ask every few minutes, like, what's that? What's that? And then you start to shut down. And, and I think as like the teacher or the team, like, like watching for that, like you can watch when someone like glazes over, you know, like you can see when someone's like, and I'm out, like, you know, this is, this is too much. So like watching the body language like one thing I my biggest pet peeve sitting in an IEP meeting is other people being on their computer like it is it's probably something I totally accidentally did as a teacher you know you you give your part and then you pop on to do maybe all of a sudden you're checking your email you're doing something else I know there's parts of the IEP that have to be done on the computer fine but you can't do other work during the IEP or even like you know just even leaving your screen on it's just so dang rude to the parent and the people that have come there. I sat in a meeting last year and the mom and I, the mom, I could feel her like getting more and more mad as the meeting went on because the superintendent typed loudly on her laptop the whole meeting. And it just like screamed. The what? Were they the note taker? No, no. She said Uh, her piece and then she just typed. And it just screamed like, I don't care about this. And, And I think that's just like, becomes it, the culture sometimes of a building. You know, you've got a, a, a high caseload, you, the speech pathologist says their part, and then they leave their laptop open and they don't mean to, but suddenly they're checking their email. And it's just so rude. It's sending a message you don't mean to, to mom and dad. You know, and even ideally, uh, even the note taker, I've never had someone say, hi, I'm so-and-so, but I'm going to be taking notes. Yes. I won't be looking up. It took me like years to realize why is that person just furiously typing? And like, I didn't even understand why are they taking notes or any of that. So just say, I'm not going to be looking at you much. I really want to make sure I capture any dialogue we have that goes beyond the specific check the boxes on this paper. Yes, yes. And like, you know, in in districts that I've been in, people have to take turns logging into the system and adding their part. And I was recently, this wasn't even at an IEP, it was at a doctor's appointment. But every time the doctor, we were like talking about things, opened the computer, he's like, okay, I'm going to, right now I'm looking up this or right now I'm putting these things in. Like he told me what he was doing every second. So I never felt like he's doing something off task. (laughs) Right, right. We need only on task behaviors. (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's switch gears a second. And even in, you know, the most perfect school where the teacher's amazing, everyone's on the same page, there can still be struggles with that relationship with the school. There's miscommunications. You know, this is an emotional thing. It's someone's, it's someone's baby. And this, and it should be emotional. It should be important and and high stakes. So for those parents that feel like they're in a combative relationship with the school, what are, what are your like words of wisdom to them? Um, it's a lot. That's a, yeah. How much time do you have? <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot for the parent to do. But I will tell you what I have done that worked for me, that works for me. Um, and we'll go from there. So this this is what works for me. Like I said before, I can't stress it enough. Understand how your child's disability impacts their ability to learn and go to school. Um, it's very important that the, the battles you're willing to pick or to fight 
um, are related to that because the Individuals with Disability Education Act, um, it's a federal law that basically ensures supports are provided to students with disabilities. Uh, you need to know what that gives to your child, how that supports your child. There are many, many, many things that this extremely lengthy, if you really read the full law, um, many ways it supports your child, very specific ways, whether it be assistive technology or least restrictive environment um, or, or the IEP meeting. So know those two things um, because there are things that might not be related to education. And if you're asking for that or those things, um, it's going to dilute the things that you can and should be fighting for. So just make sure you know your rights and your laws. Um, it's really, like you mentioned, it's really hard. There were several IEP meetings that I've gone to that I've cried, but I'm coming to a point where I like have to psych myself out beforehand that this, I just keep telling myself, yes, this is my child, but this is a business meeting. Try to hold, think of it as a business meeting because when I, in the past, have thought of it as only my child-driven, just the emotions of it, it doesn't serve me well in those moments because my emotions are much less logical than my rational mind. So do what you can to lead with rational mindset instead of emotions. Now, I know that's not easy, um, I've been in situations where it actually wasn't even possible. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you do find yourself in those situations, forgive yourself. You, maybe you cried, maybe you yelled, you, you got to move on. You got to move on and, um, make sure you remember that the things you're asking for are genuinely things that will assist your child because it can come to a point where it's a struggle or tug of war and you might want to, let, not let go of something because you need to prove your point. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if that's not the most important thing to help your student, um, know where it's okay to let go and know where it's not okay to let go. Um, the other thing, as much as possible, always lead with facts, data, research, black and white truth, and logic. Um, and you just like focus on the facts and that helps you make sure you don't get off on tangents. Um, and then the last thing, if you genuinely need to, don't be afraid to record the IEP meeting. Um, even the most diligent note takers aren't court reporters. They can't write down every single thing that's discussed. Um, let your district know in advance. Many of them require 24 hours advance notice because then they also need to record the IEP meeting. So if you feel like you have these moments where you like black out because it's so emotional and you don't even remember what was said, don't be afraid to say, you know, I'm going to record this one. Yeah. That's, so that's, oh my God, my that's such a good point. I think a lot of parents don't even know that legally you can do that. Yes. Yes. Um, another thing I think a lot of parents don't know is that you don't have to sign the document that day. You know, you're no, not. Yeah. Yep. And, but it's, it's kind of this culture where like, okay, the meeting's done. Here you go. And and you're like, oh, okay. Like, and 
really the parent is the most important one in that room. Like they're the most powerful one because they're the expert on their kids. So if they're not comfortable with something, it's your right legally to not sign off on that document yet. But I think parents sometimes feel, I don't know if you ever felt this way, like pressured to just kind of go along with what the team is saying. The funny thing is, from the second you learn that you're a parent who has a child with a disability and IEPs um, are going to be part of, and oh, in case any parents are listening, individualized education program. <laughs> Look at so you following your advice. <laughs> all, everything from present levels of performance of your child, of a student, we'll call it a student, um, present levels, any accommodations, modifications, supports, goals you have for their academic goals that might be related to common core standards that are for general ed, um, all kinds of good stuff. And, um, for me, like the very first thing all parents said, and it's all over the internet, you know, oh, I'm going to my IEP meeting. Don't sign it. Don't sign the document. <laughs> So I was like scared. We're going to finish the IP meeting. Someone's going to press a button under the table. The doors are going to lock and they're going to be like, give me my husband and I pens. I'm like, if you don't sign it, your son is going to be like locked up in a room until you're ready. So they were like, here you go. Take it home. Look it over. Do you have any questions? Anything you need? Oh, okay. Well, that didn't happen. And I've never been pressured to sign. Now I've also had someone go, okay, so here you go. Just sign right here. Not realizing it, but now my motto or my, what I follow is, yeah, we just take it home. I just need to read it over. Um, rarely have I ever taken it home and not had a few things that I realized, oh, that's not what we said. Yeah. You know, that we miss. there was a miscommunication. We need to fix this or change this. Or I thought of something else. Can we add this? So what are some things that you like look for to make sure, you know, like red flags to see in that document that you like want to be aware, not be aware of, I know that's going to be different for every kid, but what are some things that might pop right. out to a parent or to you? Well, let's say that, you know, when you, they asked for parent concerns, you discuss, let's say it's behavioral communication, social. Um, let's say there's a, a large deficit in one of those areas for your child and you didn't, you don't have any goals. And then you're looking over it, you realize, oh, we don't have anything to support them socially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just to make sure that it, all areas of concern or all areas of um, weakness for that student, that those are addressed in that document. Yeah. And then I also go through to make sure, A, you know, my son Grayson has apraxia of speech. It's childhood apraxia of speech, CAS. Uh, it's a motor planning disorder, which means that the studies show that up to 70% of all children with autism might have apraxia. Basically, the brain is unable to tell the jaw, the lips, the tongue. They call those um, the articulators. It's unable to tell them exactly where to go, how to move to say each specific sound. Um, you know, when I say the, my tongue knows it needs to come under my front two teeth for the sound. A child with apraxia of speech, they might say T or ga, like it might not sound anything like mm-hmm. they were even trying to say. So a student like that, he's have, he has a complex speech disorder. His supports for speech language pathology are going to be very different than a child who can't say dragon and they say dwagon. I think that's called gliding when you just, something simple. So make sure any complex areas of needs are absolutely addressed in a way that isn't just a check the box way. For me, for Grayson, 
I would make sure on that, um, those speech goals that I only wanted speech language pathologists and not interns doing speech with Grayson. It also apraxia, um, ASHA guidelines, the American Hearing Speech Association recommend children with apraxia receive speech therapy three to five times a week in a um, one-on-one setting, not a group setting. Mm-hmm. So I would have to make sure specifically in the wording, does it say group? You might not always see that straight up, or it might say, you know, person responsible for this goal, speech language pathology and classroom staff. Well, I try to make it just be the person responsible for the goal is the expert. Sure, it'd be great if the classroom's working on it too, but I want the expert to be accountable for the data and for the goals and for and for reporting. Yeah, so. that's that's a great point. Looking at you know, because the the IEP will know like what setting does it is it in? Is it in a group? What person uh, is responsible? Yeah. All of those things are huge. Um, I liked your point about like making sure the things that you're worried about are reflected in that IEP. And sometimes like the verbiage might be different. A thing that I used to really like to do is before the IEP, I would send home a note and I just, I I did it, I I called it the two fives. And I said, five things you want to see your child do more of and five things you want to see your child do less of. Because then it was not asking any, I didn't want to, I don't want to get involved in academics and common core. Like I don't expect parents to be an expert on standards and academics. That's my job. But I wanted to see what do you want your kid to do more of? What do you want your kid to do less of? And then I, I had that same document in the meeting and I was like, cool, these were the five things you want to see your kid do more of. These are the goals that will do that. So like, okay, you said you want your child to be able to tell you what he wants for breakfast. Well, this is how, you know, our speech goal is going to work on that and our language arts goal is going to work on that. So it really like lined it up in their head that you might not be able to see that a language arts goal is going to target communication, but kind of pulling that out for the parent to see that. I love it. <laughs> Everyone write that down. That was that's going to be on the final test. That is so good. And it's also, it can be overwhelming to constantly read severe deficit in this. And, yeah. um, you know, your seven-year-old child is at a 24-month level at this. So just saying, what do you want more of? What do you want less of? Is not nearly as intimidating as reading some really like, oh my gosh, where do we even yeah. start? Or just when I've seen, I've seen some teachers use with not a lot of success, like what are some academic goals you have for your child? And if you're talking about maybe, you know, a 17 or 18 year old who's, you know, working on more foundational skills, you're like, I don't even know what academics they should be working on. They're 17. Right, right. Like, right. yeah, like where are we doing, you know, grade level? Are we doing it at his level? So just like, what are functional things that's going to affect your daily life and your family? And that's going to be the most important things that make the biggest impact. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, yeah, kind of, so getting into the home life and kind of extending, you mentioned this before, if you can't understand what's going on, you can't work on these goals at home, obviously. Um, what are some ways, and you are an expert in special ed and ABA, so, but for a parent that's not, how are ways they can figure out what IEP goals mean so they can work on them at home? Um, I think they need to realize in it would be a great to have a discussion. Which one of these can I work on mm-hmm. at home? You know, maybe the social goals, you might not have peer models. So um, maybe the academic goals you can, but you don't know how. Mm-hmm. So just a conversation of um, the onus, I think, could be on the parents. Actually, it should be on the parents to, mm-hmm. to say, if 
if you are in a position to work on this, to make this part of your life, which will absolutely improve your child's outcome, um, ask, how can I do this? Or what do you suggest? Or um, maybe you can't do the whole thing and data scares the heck out of you. So maybe do one of the steps broken down. Um, and when you can do carryover, it's remarkable the progress your child will make. Because if they're expected to do one thing in one setting and they're not expected to do it in another setting, it's going to dilute the hard work where they are expected to do it because then it comes com becomes confusing. So I think it's just an open conversation of how can I, is this something I can carry over at home? Yes. Okay. How? And that's also something hugely beneficial in your speech goals. And for me, I have found without a basic understanding of all the common core and behavior and socialization and evidence-based social skills, you know, measurements, um, speech, it's pretty easy I could, to carry those things over. You know, maybe we're getting away from I want and we're wanting to use different verbs. Mm -hmm. um, I love to provide visual supports for myself. I might just put on a note card, five verbs I'm going to target and just put it up in the kitchen. It's a great spot. So sometimes we go, look at all these things I have to do. It's way too much. I'm doing nothing. Instead, my motto for all things in life when I feel overwhelmed is I can't do everything, but I can do five things. So five words, put them up in the high traffic areas. Maybe it's by the TV. Maybe it's by the back door. Maybe it's by the front door, you know, and just give yourself a little baby step. And then when you start to see how reinforcing that is, um, maybe add something new on there. But it's just make sure you understand how to implement at home. Maybe one of the goals or one part of one of the goals. That's that's like so key, the baby step. And I think that's probably, you know, a hurdle for people. You look at this whole IEP and it's thick and it's long and you're like, oh no, I can't. Yeah. I can't do that. I can't do touch or I don't, you know, like, <laughs> I don't do math. Like, who wants to do math? Um, but yeah, picking one thing. And I think, you know, put something, putting some of that onus on the teacher too. Like, asking like, hey, you know, are you, are there things you want to work on at home? Like, how can I help you? And, and being the one, like, I'm super, super pro homework. Like, I, I don't know. I think homework is great. It is something that I didn't really honestly do my first many years teaching because I was like, I can barely prep for the day that I have I going. I can't prep for after school. But once I started seeing that parents really loved when their kids got homework because they didn't know what to work on at home. Like they didn't know what exactly their kids academic wise were doing. And once homework came home that was appropriate and at their level, they were like, oh, okay, let's do it together. Their siblings have homework. Now we're all sitting at the kitchen table. And yes, that is more work on the teacher's end, but the homework is almost like your communication method. Like, hey, these are the skills we're working on. See how we're doing it at school. So did you individualize homework in like SDC classrooms? Okay, yeah. so, and then uh, that's that's amazing. I think that is something that, you know, so many things when you're a special needs parent, is unfamiliar, whether it be school or medical or whatever it may be. But that homework experience is very typical from yeah. our growing up and perhaps other siblings. So it's a really inclusive way yes. to, like you said, inform them. Um, yeah. I also love it. Like my gen ed children's parents, my friends, I will see communications coming home from their school and I'll say, oh, that's really cool. I wish we got that. It might be, you know, in the younger grades, 
this is our theme for this week or this month, or these are the words we're working on as a whole. This is what we're doing. It was almost like a newsletter. Yeah. And, and it's, it really helps the parents that want to be connected feel connected. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was the coolest thing. And I'm thinking my kid who can't talk or tell me anything about their day, I would appreciate a newsletter like that 10 times as much because mm-hmm. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, you you don't even know where to start. You don't have a baseline. Like, right. yeah, like I think about like I have a toddler and she goes to daycare and she gets like a little, it's an app and it tells like what she ate for lunch and there's some pictures, but it gives me a baseline. I'm like, oh, did, it- you have, did you have sloppy joes for lunch? And she's like, oh, it was yucky meat. And I was like, okay, cool. Now we can talk about this. Like, or else I, where would I have gotten that? Like it provides. It's so good yes. for communication. And for the parent to understand. Oh my God, so much language. And I think about that with our like older students with limited language, like mom and dad just, you don't know where to start. Like, what'd you have for lunch? Uh, okay. I don't know. Right. Like pizza, maybe like right. one of no, Parker would be like Thomas the train. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no, eat? Did you eat? Why is your lunch full? I don't <laughs> understand. What happened? Were you not hungry? Yeah. I like outside. I'm like, I mean, it's, and on the same, on the flip side, Parents, if there's something hugely important for your teacher to know, um, make sure they know. Are you struggling with the death of a pet? Is grandma just moved in and things are off? Um, You know, make sure in a respectful way, not like when the teacher is trying to start their instructional day and you run up and you're going to tell them everything about Timmy's ball movement (laughs) yesterday. But instead, you know, make sure you communicate with them any of these big things. Or we went to Disneyland over the weekend. Ask them about Mickey Mouse. It's a good way to not always be data and and hard work and and do what the rest of the world does. And that's discuss things that are really interesting or really hard or things that we're going through at home. And so make sure you send an email or whatever method you communicate with that teacher, the big things, communicate the big things to them too. And that's so huge because that's, that's going to affect behavior. Like, I don't know how many times, you know, we've had a rough week with something and we tell mom and then they're like, oh yeah, well, you know, dad's been on vacation all week or traveling for business or, yes. you know, yeah, he just had a baby. And you're like, oh my God, I didn't even know you were pregnant. Well, this explains a lot. <laughs> that student if I had known that yeah and and so it it just it helps everyone especially it helps the student yeah so the theme really is just like communication like if you think you're doing it too much do it more and it'll be fine (laughs) totally yeah like it and I and I love your point about like newsletters and words of the week like it doesn't something from a self-contained class I think teachers get overwhelmed like the range is so broad I have kids that are reading and kids that are working on colors you can even make something general like, hey, this month we're all talking about snow. And yeah, Johnny's going to work on matching snowflakes and Susie's going to read a book about snow. But we're all doing things about this theme to at least give yeah. some type of, you know, common thread for mom and dad to talk about at home and 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 yeah, develop that like rapport and language. And you just I mean, it, you have to like it's not a choice like it needs to be part of your job and part of your day. Um, yeah. And there, I, I sometimes say that there's, there's a magic that's threaded throughout school, a child's schooling through your school, through my school growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes some of that magic is missing from special ed. Yeah. It might be Johnny coming home with cut out snowflakes. Yeah. Um, it is, it's those little things like handmade ornaments or 
those, that ultimate experience of grade school. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd like to see a little bit of that magic. So I know a little bit of that magic is happening in the classroom too. And so maybe you think, well, why am I going to talk to Johnny about snow when he can't use the toilet independently? Um, because it, it matters. Yeah. And there's time for both. There is like, you don't have to pick one or the other. And I think for a teacher that's like listening to this and like, well, I don't know, maybe I do that. Maybe I don't take a half an hour, go to your gen ed counterparts classroom and observe or walk around, go after school, walk around their room after school. Does your room look remotely like the fourth grade room? Cause it, it needs to, it needs to look yeah. similar to your gen ed counterparts grade. And that, and there's like important implications for that at early childhood. Like your room should be fun and colorful and, and an exciting place to be. And then that eighth grade class should look like an eighth grade class. Like it shouldn't look like the first Baby. grade class, you know, yeah. I, I talk about those stupid color teddy bears all the time, because if I see another 15 year old sorting colored bears, I will lose my damn mind um, because that is not age appropriate. And there's, you know, what age appropriate looks like keeps changing and it needs to be fun in the early grades. And it's still fun in junior high, but in an appropriate non-babyish way. Um, yeah. And especially for parents and teachers who are, uh, especially the self-contained classrooms, you kind of lose touch with what is mm-hmm. um, age respectful. And so for me, even with Parker, I wanted, I made him a weekly visual schedule for his school day. And at first I made him, I, I put it on a tiny little binder and it looked really special Eddie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, of course we're very open about the fact that my boys have autism, but there might come a day and a time that they don't want all these, you know, factors that you look at them and go, yep, that looks like a PECS book. That's special ed. Um, and so I was like, well, I don't know what first graders do. So I put a post out on social media. What are first graders into? I don't know. Um, cause, and then I ended up making a folder, uh, with dinosaurs on it or something that was something that interested Parker that looked like it could have been any other kid's folder and was highly motivating. And then the other kids look at it and go, oh, I see. That's, that's cool. cool. Instead of that special Eddie. Yeah. So like um, if you don't know what your those gen ed students are into, um, just go ask the gen ed teacher. She'll yeah. totally know. You're in a school. You have, you have all the resources, the resources. down the hallway. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, for older kids, I think actually technology's made it literally 1 million times easier to be cool, to fit in, to blend. Um, One of my clients right now is in high school, has speech praxia, he's nonverbal. And his mom and I joke that like, this is literally the best time in society or time to be nonverbal because teenagers don't talk anyways. She's like, my other teenagers don't talk to each other. Like now my son is just on his phone texting people. Well, that's what his sisters do. Like, you know, Teens don't talk anyway. Totally appropriate. Yeah, it's totally appropriate. And, yeah. you know, he his speech device is on his phone. It looks totally like every other teenager has their phone in their hand. He has his phone in his, his hand. His just has Prolico on it. So, you know, it's, it. It, it just fits in. So as the teacher, you know, we get, even if you're only like two or three years in the field, like you just get blinders on and you know, like your kids and that's it. It's, it's hard to remember like, actually, yeah. What, what does a third grade room look like? Or, or what are kindergartners? what cool like crafts are kindergartners doing now? Um, so force yourself, like go into their rooms and see what they're doing. Cause they, they have all the answers and it's two doors down from you. Um, yeah. 
so that's huge. That's a huge parent kind of, that's a good point to make that parents want are hungry for that stuff too. Um, and if you are a teacher, you know, like after my heart, that's like data, 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 and wants everything, you know, like super data driven and structured all the time, you still have to make time for, for fun things. Magic. The yeah, magic. The magic. Yeah. And, and the fun and, and it might be a hot mess. Like it will be a hot mess. It'll, but it'll yeah. yeah. The first three times it'll yeah. be a hot mess. Yeah. But then, you know, it'll be, it's good. And, and also I think the joy of having kids as a self-contained teacher multiple years is if you incorporate some of that magic, our kids, some of them have such great memories that then it's yes. like part of their routine. Like mm-hmm. I taught a lot of the same kids cause I co-taught with another teacher for many years. So we like, I knew kids when they were in second grade and then I had them still at eighth grade and they knew like every fall we did a family field trip. Every December we went to a diner for lunch. Like they'd be like, what? Even kids that had a hard time with transitions and new things, they're like diner in December. Like they knew it was now yep. part of their routine. And, and you can make those school magic things part of their routine too. Absolutely. Um, okay. Since we are now getting on the longer side, what I guess to like tie up so many like great, great ideas that you've shared for both parents and teachers and applying it way beyond the IEP, um, kind of reeling it back when it comes to that IEP meeting, any other like final notes for parents or for teachers kind of to either group. And when I say teachers, I mean like clinicians, everyone at the school, um, maybe like do's and don'ts or just like final, like words of wisdom to either group. Um, you know, if you're like me, you're total type A perfectionist and already analyzing everything you say and do anyway. Um, so for me, I've been in contentious situations and I've been in amazing situations, but I always assume the best out of everyone that's sitting around that table. Um, if there are some red flags that I have experienced, um, if my student has been in a classroom for many, many, many months and when present levels of performance, when you're describing my student, if it doesn't sound like them, um, there are instances where there are many children who do X, Y, Z at school and don't at home, whether it's good or bad. So sometimes that does happen, but if there's like some fundamental disconnects there, that's, um, that's something as a parent that, um, my gut usually fires, uh, one I have for, uh, special ed teachers. So, you know, a general ed general education teachers always at the IEP meetings, um, depending upon your district and the culture of inclusion and the least restrictive environment. Um, some are really involved and given the tools to be involved and some are not, and never even get a copy of the IEP, um, before or after. So that is something to consider for a special ed teacher is what kind of relationship do you have with the general education teacher that's coming in? Is the sitting down at that meeting the very first time they've ever heard this student's name or anything about this student? Um, also, most IEP meetings I go to, they say, okay, we're going to start with Mrs. General Ed because she has a classroom to get back to. And that always breaks my heart because I want my son to be part of her classroom. And it feels like right now that this is not important, but her getting back to the classroom is important. Now, I will not pretend to know all the demands placed on a general ed teacher and the very realistic over like all the work that's given and all that's expected of them. Um, 
and if it's up to me, I will also advocate for them to get the resources they need. But that is a, a statement that breaks my heart anytime I hear it. So understand that most likely that SPED parent wants their child to be part of that community and to be in that. So that meeting, this once a year meeting, um, you hope that it's a priority to other people as well. Um, another red flag, and most people don't do this. And unfortunately, the people who hear this and are, it connects with them. They're like, don't do it. And the people who don't hear it are doing it. But um, this is how we do it. This is our, that's how we do speech for all children. That's how children like to learn X, Y, Z. None of this like happy meal where you can switch out one thing, but other than that, it's all totally the same. Um, you know, it's important that the language be individualized as individualized as the student. Um, and that's it. Like, I think that special education teachers, especially the ones, I mean, all of them, but especially the ones in the self-contained classrooms who have a multitude of different baselines, different needs, huge needs, different parents, different parent styles. You guys are amazing. And this work, this vocation, this calling is remarkable. I mean, and I'm sure it's hard when you want more for that student than maybe anyone else in that student's life, but that's why you're needed even more. So thank you for what you do. I could cry when I talk about how impactful. You don't impact our students the the three years or the one year that they're in their class. You impact them for the rest of their life. So thank you for doing what you do. Well, thank you, Chrissy, for doing what you do too, because I think having you know, such a loud, like on social media, I don't mean like physically loud, but, you know, honest and, and not being afraid to talk about, you know, the good, bad and the ugly, but from a parent perspective, like parents, you know, want to hear that there's other parents that feel lost sometimes and have been in the same situation as them. That's how teachers feel a lot, but I know that's how a lot of parents can feel. So getting that connection from you online, I know is, it's just so valuable for this whole community. So thank you as well. And Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're so busy, but for being in here and sharing all of your great tips that I think we can just apply so many things on a regular basis to really any class, like gen ed, special ed, in between, all of them. Thank you for the opportunity. You know, these are my favorite things to talk about and everyone else is looking at me. So I'm so excited to have somebody listening. Well, thank you. Chrissy is such a wealth of knowledge. If you want to hear more from her, which I'm sure you do, you can follow her on Instagram or Facebook at Life with Grayson and Parker. You can also check out her website, lifewithgraysonandparker.com. I think if we followed just a few of her suggestions and implemented those, whether you're a parent or a teacher, you will make such an impact on developing that team approach that we all want. Um, So really pull some strategies from this podcast episode because she gave us a lot of great action items that we can implement tomorrow, not even just when the IEP meeting is coming up. We can start doing these things now. So hope you enjoyed it. If you would have told me a few years ago that my favorite part of my job is getting up in front of sometimes a few hundred people and giving a presentation on data or behavior academics, I would have thought you were crazy. I did not always like public speaking. Actually, to be totally honest, public speaking was something I used to be pretty afraid of. But now it's literally my favorite part of my job. 
I love being in a room of my people, of the special ed world, teachers and parents and clinicians, and everyone that's on the front lines that's working so hard for our students to give them the best opportunities and the best classroom experience. I love being in a room of everyone that understands how hard this job can be, but also how amazing it is and how important those little victories are on a daily basis. When I do a PD, my goal is to bring value. I wanna bring action items, ideas and strategies that you can do tomorrow in your classroom. I have sat through too many professional developments that either didn't apply to me or were too hypothetical and philosophical. And my special ed heart always wanted to know, what do I do next? What do I do tomorrow? If you are interested in learning more about how I can come to your school to do a professional development, please visit theautismhelper.com backslash speaking. There's a contact form as well as a lot of information about all of the different sessions I give. I'm happy to answer any questions and work with your school district. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum, everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.